anything worse than a dull blade? Well, yeah, lots of things, I guess. Poverty, war, weak coffee. Seriously though, a dull blade is bad. It's unusable. In fact, it's downright dangerous. Knives need sharpening. From Whetstone Boys Ranch in Mountain View, Missouri, comes A Time to Sharpen, a bi-weekly podcast that examines how we can all be better versions of ourselves, better teachers, better counselors, better parents, better people. Cowboys. We love them. We hate them. We love to hate them. We hate the fact that we love them. Maybe it's best to say that America has a complicated relationship with cowboys. Whetstone Boys Ranch, even with its strong western roots, is no different. We could argue about the reasons why and what these reasons tell us about ourselves, but one thing is for sure. Everyone seems to like Danny Glover's portrayal of Joshua Dietz in the television miniseries Lonesome Dove. Rarely has a fictional character demonstrated such splendid behavior, to quote the book by Larry McMurtry and the film. But the more you think about Dietz and what he represents, the more complicated he becomes. On this episode of A Time to Sharpen, we discuss Dietz with Ty Lewis, agricultural director at Whetstone Boys Ranch. What can this iconic character tell us about how to work with struggling teenagers? And perhaps more importantly, what can he tell us about how to work with ourselves while we work with struggling teenagers? So I wanted to bring Ty on today and uh, because I thought he would have a lot to say about Lonesome Dove and Dietz and about working with boys and animals and things of that nature. Um, I personally am uh, reading Lonesome Dove right now. I know it's, it's sacrilegious to tell people, some of the people who work here at the ranch, that I haven't read the entire thing before now. I'm 47 years old. So that puts me a little behind the curve. When, when did you first read it, Ty? Well, I have never read it. <laughs> well, it makes me feel better. But I watch, <laughs> I watch the show at least twice a year. Twice a year. And uh, I have a couple special dates that I do that on. Um, dates? Like what? What uh, dates? Whenever, well, first one is, uh, <laughs> well, that's kind of personal. Because, okay. Because <laughs> cause there's a ritual that I have with this. But uh, I will tell you, the other one is just whenever my parents, uh, or I'm sorry, whenever Michelle and the kids go to Indiana. Okay. The guy time? It's it's me, a pizza. Bachelor and, pad revelry. And, uh, mm-hmm. and some memories. Okay. Axel, I'm surprised right. that you're actually still working here. You made it 10, 11 <laughs> years and you are just now reading or you may be seeing it once. Yeah, that... uh, yeah, I think once. So early in the early on, we actually had that as a prerequisite to working here, but we yeah. we decided sli- to scratch I that. I slipped through the cracks. Axel slipped through. It wasn't a part of the job he application at the plenty time. Plenty of other skills to uh, bring to the table to yeah. we look the other way on that one. Yeah. But... I do, I do enjoy Lonesome Dove, but I'm not like uh, you know, all in as they say with with Lonesome Dove. <laughs> well, what Dove. do you call it? You call it cowboy soap opera. Uh, yeah, it feels like a cowboy soap opera to me, certainly. Um, uh, it's just, uh, it's this long romance with, with the West and with uh, uh, cowboy culture and with, uh, with Texas and Montana and the cow trail and everything. And uh, I mean, you bet. It's, yeah, it's, it's a romance. <laughs> it's a romance for guys. It's a bromance. 
So, uh, but I, having said that, I, I, I love the miniseries. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's not something you want to watch with your 10-year-old son. Should probably mention that because uh, there are some adult themes and uh, some jokes and innuendo. And uh, there's a lot of death, too, that's uh, difficult to process for a younger, younger person or for any of us, really. Um, which brings me back a little bit to Dietz because I just read the passage last night where Dietz died. And uh, that, was, that was pretty rough. Uh, uh, I, I'd seen the miniseries and... I'm getting I, goosebumps right now as we yeah, I just I, put myself back there. I, like I said, I watched it probably 10 years ago. I haven't watched it again. Um, I've kind of been putting off watching it again, actually, so that I could read the book um, and form my own opinions, of which I have many. But uh, read that scene last night, and I had remembered kind of that Dietz was going to die, and I was reading it like, oh, no, is this when Dietz dies? And, but I didn't know for sure. And sure enough, last night, it happened very suddenly. If you read the novel or I'm right. thinking the miniseries too, you're not really expecting it. Yeah. Not that you ever expect death, but in this case, it happens quickly and brutally, and it's over like that. And um, then you're left to kind of deal with it along with the other characters. Um, and so that uh, was something that I just wanted to talk about today to kind of, I guess, process <laughs> as I'm working through the trauma of, of Deed's death because these characters are just so real. Uh, if you ever read it or, uh, or when you do read it or um, when you uh, watch the, the miniseries. Uh, but, but specifically, there's a passage uh, in the book where, where Call, um, after Deed's dies, takes a, a plank off of the wagon and he, he walks off and he, he carves basically an epitaph into this board and, and puts it into the ground um, on top of Dietz's grave. And uh, before we get into who Dietz is, because I, I realize I, I haven't actually explained who Dietz is to our audience, so I'm assuming maybe they know something about him. But uh, that epitaph reads... Uh, Brandon, do you have it there? Why don't you... Uh, every word's important, so I don't, I don't want to get it. I was actually... Yeah, here it is. It's served Joshua Dietz, served with me 30 years, fought in 21 engagements with the Comanche and the Kiowa, cheerful in all weathers, never shirked a task, splendid behavior. Yeah. Specifically those last three things. Uh, cheerful in all weathers, never shirked a task, splendid behavior. Cheerful in all weathers, never shirked a task. Splendid behavior and big words. Big words. Does that describe? Yeah, the Ty's, boys Ty's that tearing up over there right now. I wish we, this was uh, on YouTube. Get a, get a few tears out of that. But uh, it's it's pretty powerful. Uh, briefly, let me just sum up who Dietz is. He's a uh, and you guys feel free to chip in. I'll just provide some of what sticks out to me. I mean, first off, he's African American, so uh, he is the uh, the, the only. African American character in in the story up to this point. I haven't finished it. I should probably say that. I was a little hesitant to actually do this show because I don't spe- I don't remember specifically a lot of the ending myself, and so I'm I'm looking forward to finish the finishing the read. But I'm hoping these guys don't spoil anything for me. So be careful. And uh, but uh, in any case, he's he's African American. He's uh, he's been with with Call and with Gus uh, for. 
many, many years, decades um, in the Indian Wars and in uh, Boundary Wars uh, in Texas. And he's just been a constant companion. He's the most highly skilled of, of all of them, really. I mean, he can, he can track, he can find water, he's an expert horseman. He's a beautiful person. Uh, he's uh, very sympathetic and he's understanding of other people. He's kind. He's, he's just a great guy and he's, uh, he's taken for granted uh, by every person on the, um, uh, on the journey with this group of cowboys who are driving these cattle from Texas to Montana. He's the glue. He's the glue. Yeah. The glue for sure. Uh, and, and the sad thing is that none of them realize that. And, well, they, they kind of recognize it, but they, they don't verbalize it. They don't realize it until he's yeah. gone. Until he's gone. And then it, it hits them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think yeah. about he was a scout, right? I mean, just going mm-hmm. out ahead of everybody. And that guy looking for, I mean, really the safety of everybody is kind of dependent on that guy in a lot of ways. And you don't realize how valuable a guy like that is until, like Ty said, they're gone and what he brought to the table. Right. And so those guys are all kind of on top of, again, the relational element of just, he was cheerful in all weathers. I mean, how attractive is somebody that is just comes to the table with a good attitude all the time? You know, that's something that is very beneficial to be around something that's very attractive to be around and that's something that he brought to the table yeah yeah and, and it occurred to me as, as i read those last three things too that these this is what we want our our boys to be i mean he is a a model you know a perfect example of of what a um a young man should be you know of what a, of, of what a good person should be cheerful in all weathers and there's a lot of weather in lonesome dove there's hail and snow and rain and wind and dust storms and and they see it all and uh he's just a rock through everything never shirked a task he had the hardest tasks as as the the lone black guy he was sometimes given those tasks because of his position in society um and uh he did it expertly you know and they no one can replace his ability to do those things and then the splendid behavior. I mean, on all accounts, he was just uh, a gentleman, a good, a good guy, a friend, a companion, loyal, everything that we would want our, our boys to have. Um, and so uh, that my, my thoughts gravitated towards that. And I don't want this to be like a book club about Lonesome Dove, because some people might not like Lonesome Dove. They might think, you know, it's, uh, it might not be their jam, you know, um, which is something I wanted to talk about also in terms of what we are as a ranch, in terms of our cowboy image, in terms of what we present ourselves as, how we see ourselves. I know I don't see myself as a cowboy. Um, I'm from Pontiac, Michigan. You know, the yak. As they call it up in the Detroit area. That's right. I mean, I grew up um, on city streets and pavement and... Uh, that kind of thing. And it was a kind of Wild West-ish, I guess, in a kind of survival of the fittest way at times. But I didn't grow up around um, the cows and animals and um, anything to do with the West. Um, I have family in Texas, so I got a little taste of that. And Jeremy Thompson, our executive director, uh, was a Eagle Scout, so I went on trips with him. So I had a lot of experiences with nature and 
enjoyed uh, being in it. But I don't count myself a cowboy is what I'm saying. And a lot of the boys who come here to the ranch don't see themselves as cowboys. They don't want to be cowboys. They resist the impulse, you know, that some of the boys have to, to join in that romanticism and that use their imagination and experience all those things. And we don't, we don't try to force them into it. We do make them wear cowboy boots. I mean, that's required attire. So I guess there's that. But uh, they don't have to wear a cowboy hat. You know, they don't, they don't have to do all these things. But we still think that that image of the West, and I think personally the imagery and the iconography of the West is very helpful and instructive. So I wanted to talk about that in terms of you guys have a little more experience with those things than I do and uh, what that means to you and what we offer as a ranch to all kinds of families, regardless of their experience with the West and, and cowboys and horses. Yeah, I think in the early parts of Whetstone and us working on Whetstone and getting it started and having another partner, Nathan, who loved the the West and, and horses and certainly some of our history starts with that and just that he he had horses and growing up or kind of starting just from that idea of what the west rep- represents its freedom and it's and we've always wanted animals to be involved with with whetstone because we believe that boys connect with animals and and horses are certainly a part of that um but we have been dubbed kind of the horsey ranch or the horsey camp by some people mm-hmm. that just don't really know exactly just what goes on out here and so I think we've felt a little bit of like what we're not a horsey ranch by any stretch of the imagination, but we do believe in horses and cattle and dogs and chickens and other animals we've had out here to connect with boys because we've seen it work and we all have different experiences of of how that works. I didn't grow up on a farm. I kind of I always joke that I don't know where I'm from because I bounced around from Texas to California to Southern and Northern California, uh, back to Texas, back to, you know, up to Montana. And so I've kind of bounced around all over the place and I didn't grow up on a ranch and have that experience. Uh, But Ty, our ag director, he's got more history in, in that. And that's why he's our ag director. He has more of that in his background. And so Ty, maybe you can speak to a little bit of what what brought like your the element of your background and what Whetstone offered when you came and joined the team? How did those two maybe match what you guys were looking for? Um, well, when I first came here, I well, was, let me do the Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I first uh, well, when I first came to Whetstone uh, in twenty thirteen. I was uh, just on a visit, and I was. I said, "Man, I would." Jeremy said, "Hey, would you want to work here?" And I was looking for a change of work, and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. I'm. I'd be all for it. I, I'd. I'd love to run your ag program." And he said, "Well, we don't have an ag program. We need a house parent." And I said, "Whoa, <laughs> whoa!" And so uh, I did not see that coming. Yeah, that one I didn't see coming, but uh, but I believed in the mission and. And after three years, I was presented the opportunity to to work and and grow the ag program, and uh, I have ag background within my family, if that makes sense. I never got to live on a ranch, but uncles, aunts, 
grandparents, they all had ranches and I would work on them or work on farms for, for friends through high school. Um, but, but the, the sense of adventure and the sense of just being close to something that, um, that can turn around and kick your tail is exciting. And I think that the boys get excitement off of that. Uh, I think, I think cowboys get excited about that of just the adventure of I don't know what's going to happen today I don't know what I don't know what is going to go down when I try to move these cows I don't know but there's something intriguing and inviting and a relationship that is that the that anybody is trying to have with whatever they're caring for whether it's the land whether it's the cows or a horse they're they're wanting to work with nature, and that's what I see as the excitement um, that our boys and I have. And and you should mention too uh, something about your sheep because you I, you go from working with boys and cows here to working with your own boys and sheep back at your house. <laughs> I have boys and so, sheep. At, at my you can't house. get enough of it. I can't. I can't. Uh, some would say I'm a fool and others <laughs> say I'm living the dream. And sometimes, depending on the day, I'll tell you either one of those. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but no, I... Uh, either way, you're dealing with poop. Either way, you're dealing with poop <laughs> in all three circumstances. <laughs> and and it's it's exciting and it's hard and it's rewarding. And uh, you see growth and... You uh, you learn how to work with nature, yeah. or you either learn how to work with nature, or you get beat up and you just keep standing back up and getting beat down again. Yeah. Like there's and nature demands nature respect. demands respect, yeah. and it does not care. And nature being the weather, the animals, the plants, whatever it is, and in the the place that you find yourself in when you're trying to figure out and really study what is going on and right. and how nature works. Well, and something that it's you said a couple of years ago that stuck with me was that you're not you're not raising cattle or sheep or in our case at the at the ranch boys you're you're raising grass, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to create raising grass and even more basic than that, you're raising you're growing soil. Yeah, is is right. the way I view it. Yeah, and even deeper, even deeper. Yeah. And in in that, what you're do, what I see, a true cattleman or true uh, caretaker or steward of the land is, God gives you rain, and He gives you sun, and you have to figure out how to manage that, and then. And then you can do a lot of other things of additives. You can put fertilizer on the land. You can mm-hmm. put insecticide on the land. You can do stuff. But God had this place going just fine with sun and rain. Mm-hmm. And and that's the part of that's the that's what I enjoy is the the getting getting into the nitty gritty and figuring out okay sun and rain and animals. God did this yeah. at the beginning. This is how he created it. I can, anybody can make grass grow in the desert with enough water and enough money. But And you have, actually. 
That's and and part, I have. That's another part of Ty's yes. story. <laughs> yeah. He grew grass in the yeah. desert. So, yeah. uh, specifically things, on golf courses, but maybe that's another uh, story. Right. We'll do another one yeah. about that. <laughs> what that reminds me of is just the simplicity. And that's why I think, going back to the Western theme, why the Western idea and Western lore, the American cowboy, why that stuff has stood the test of time, because there's some simple, timeless principles. There's kind of and simple equipment. You know, you think of what they use from, you know, just the idea of a, a saddle and a cowboy hat and a gear. Like, that stuff hasn't really changed all that much over a lot of years because... It just is, is quality, it works, and it's timeless. And so whether it's the gear or the lifestyle or just the principles that, you know, the iconic cowboy lives by, which translates onto the ranch is going back to what was said about Dietz, cheerful in all weathers, in all weathers, never shirked a task, splendid behavior. I mean, those are simple principles that get convoluted because there's so much chaos out there. And I like one of the things we give our boys on level two is a cowboy hat. And we like to tell the story that it's not just because we are, you know, yes, we have a ranch theme, and but a cowboy hat serves a purpose. The reason, the way that it's designed is to, you know, you can keep the shade off your neck, you can use it to drink water, you can wave it to shoe cows through a gate, there's a lot of different things that you can do with a cowboy hat and it serves a purpose and we want them to understand that their life has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so we try to use some of these Western themes and as I just see it as a simple way to live. There's simplicity to who God is and what God has given us through resources and how we can use that to introduce the boys to something that maybe they haven't been exposed to before. Right. There's very few boys that, uh, they may say that they are not interested in being a cowboy or I hate cowboys or I'll never be a cowboy, but when they get that level two token of a hat, very few go without wearing it on a work day or like it's, you're putting on, it's, it's kind of like a badge and sometimes Mm -hmm. it helps someone find themselves it helps them figure out hey I can do this and not that it's a fake it till you make it type of deal but it's like a hey I'm gonna go try something new mm-hmm. and I may like it and in yeah. many times I've driven around at the end of a, of a residence time and they're excited to talk about hey remember when I did this remember when we did that we have a lot of things that we have a cabin we have water lines that we put in we have fences and and that's all cowboyish type work and and it's a little bit of an identity of like hey I am I'm worth something I did that I, mm-hmm. I like uh, I remember one day uh, one graduation a young man was stood there and told his parents, I built that fence, I built that fence. And just the ownership and the pride that that gave him. Yeah. And he came from inner city St. Louis. And so, or suburb St. Louis. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was... 
Well, I, I like your use of that word identity because I, I wanted to, I wanted to pivot at some point into a, a, a little deeper discussion of of identity, and um, I love what you guys are saying about cowboys in the West and the the timelessness of it all, and um, I believe in all those things, but I also think sometimes we create artificial markers sometimes to say. Oh, you're in, you're a part of this group, so you 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 belong, you know. Act like this, walk like this, talk like this, and and, and then we'll 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 care, or you'll matter to us. And yes, it, they do stand up straighter if they're wearing a good fitting pair of Wrangler jeans and they're wearing boots that that make them walk straight. And there's value in all that. But sometimes we get a little carried away, and I don't I don't mean we necessarily. I mean we as a society, sometimes including me where that becomes my way to like judge other people, you know, and feel good about what I'm doing. Oh, well, he's doing this, so I'm successful. And we're particularly guilty of that as Christians and in churches with all of the various ways that we have of determining how someone's in and how someone's out. And um, So I wanted to go back to the basics, speaking of basics, and look at a verse that... Um, that really makes clear what identity is as as a Christian. I mean, the Bible's I think fairly clear about the what it, what it what it means. Um, and I like this. I really like this passage in Colossians uh, chapter three, verses two through two through four. Um, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And thinking about like who I am, and, and I've had identity crises several over the course of my life, you know, as a teenager and, and as a young person, as a teacher, coming to the ranch was, was difficult in terms of how I fit in being uh, someone from the city and and my set of experiences and what my gifts are and, and how those work in this environment. And um, the boys, man, think about identity crisis with them. I mean, some of them will fight you tooth and nail to hold on to whatever shred of identity they have, regardless of how misshapen and unhealthy it is. That's, that's all they have. You take that away, they have nothing. How many so, times has <laughs> haircut been the identity of... Haircut. Yeah, th yeah, this is where it all ends, right? At the, the phone booth. We got to get a, a dumb, a dumb, dumber reference in, in each episode. I think is <laughs> would be a good goal. So uh, they'll that's the die that's the hill they're gonna they're gonna die on. And what we want to get them to realize is that that is that's not your identity. It's not about what you look like. It's not about how you dress. It's not about how you walk and what you say. It's about who you were created to be in Christ and who you are when 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 you're with God, you know, when no one else is around and people aren't looking, right? And that in that state, in that stripped down, barest state, you are loved um, as you are, who you are, without anything else, right? And so... <clears throat> it's interesting you talk about identity, going back to deeds, though, and I don't know how far... I don't want not spoil. to spoil it for me. It's, I think it's pretty close <laughs> after he dies, but when Newt talks about... Why he was just holding, or it's actually Gus that said he could have let go of that boy, but he didn't. Yeah. But he didn't. You know, he said it twice. Yeah. 
And so there's kind of a premonition before. We, we should probably tell our audience exactly how Deeds dies because that's important. So don't listen if you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's pretty fresh in my mind because they get some horses stolen. They finally make it across this desert, this two-day journey where there's no water and they barely make it. And they're so happy that they find water that they relax and they let their guard down. And so some some Indians come and steal their horses in the night. So like, no, this, no. This isn't happening to us because that was their their it's occupation. Justice. I mean, that's it's death. <laughs> they you just hung Jake Spoon earlier for stealing horses right. and being well. He didn't technically steal. He's with people who stole him, but you know, distinction without a difference. So he, uh, they, they're going to they're going to take care of justice. They find the horses, uh, and if it turns out that it's this small tribe of of Native Americans who were just barely surviving, and they stole the horses because they were going to eat them. Right. And so they're like, oh, we can't. We're not going to go in guns blazing. This this is silly. We, we have some compassion on these people. So they go to get their horses, and they were actually going to let them have a few horses, but they're like, no, there's a nice sorrel in there. Oh, I've got to keep that one. So right. <laughs> they're going to take the back. So they kind of go in, and they, they can't speak the language. They can't communicate. So Dietz goes in, and, and uh, they were eating the horses. It's kind of gruesome, and it's kind of bloody, and they couldn't. They all the Indians run away, and they don't take the little baby who ended up being blind because they were so afraid in their flight to get away from these cowboys who were going to come in and possibly slaughter them or massacre them. So Dietz goes in and he picks up the baby and he's trying to to bring it back to them and say, "Here's your child. We're, we mean no harm." And one of the teenagers, basically, he's like a boy, a young boy, right. just attacks Dietz with a spear. Himself. You know, runs it through his gut and kills almost immediately right through his heart, and he's gone in like thirty seconds. You know, he's trying to do the right thing. He was trying to be kind. He was, but the, these people that he was trying to help had been so hurt and and mistreated, right, that they had no reason to expect that that these people would help them, and so right, it's so sad. But then they. So yeah, but the, the aftermath of that, Newt couldn't understand it and what happened, but Gus was just saying he could have put the boy down. He could have mm-hmm. defended himself. Yeah. He sat and watched that guy run at him with a spear for a while. And obviously if you watch the movie, I think it's pretty close to the book. But mm-hmm. so but you back up and there's a premonition um that Deets had, like back when they were just dying of thirst and they don't think they're going to literally die of thirst they don't know where the water is and Gus looks over it or uh, Deese looks over it at call actually it's like Captain what are we doing out here a man ought not stray too far from from what he knows something Mm -hmm. to that effect yeah so it was kind of like that was Charted territory for Dietz. It's like he was kind of getting out of his comfort zone and his identity was back in Texas and knowing what he loves and what he did and with all the things that were familiar to him. And he didn't quite, I think he was having kind of an identity crisis at that point of like, why are we out here doing this? We don't even know this country. We don't even know where water is. We don't even know where our horses are. It's almost like he was done. He's like, I've done what I've done, and I've done that honorably, but it's almost like he had an identity crisis, maybe a one way to look at it, and he yeah. just 
Well, it, it alludes in the movie. It alludes to that he's like he could have done something different, but yeah. he's like, I think I've served my time. Well, and when you think about like identity crises in American history, you know, one of the the biggest polarities or dichotomies in in our entire is cowboys and Indians, right? It's like here are the cowboys, here are the Indians. We're lined up on opposite sides, and how do we tell the cowboys from the Indians? Well, it's obvious, right? Cowboy hats, war paint, you know, feathers, headdresses. boots, headdresses. It's, it's very clear. There's no, there's no gray. It's, it's real simple. And we sometimes look back to bygone eras when things were black and white and good was good and evil was evil. But that's, that's not the way it went down, right? I mean, it, who, who, who are we and, and what is... You need to be a part of a group. You need your people. You need to be comfortable. You need to be loved. You need to be embraced. And you need to understand people and, and communicate with them and speak the same language but you you can't vilify the people that are different than you or that look different than you or talk different than you and the boys that we have here don't know how to do that like at all right and so we're trying to get them to identify to, to realize we are all created by God and we are all given an identity by him and we can all come together and and be one and live in this household because of that central fact. You might be from California, you might be from New Jersey, you might be from Florida, you might be from Michigan and we have had boys from probably 30, at least 30 different states at this point and different countries and everything and they're having to live in the same space and they create those markers themselves. Say, we're in this group, you're in this group, and here's what the cool guys do, and here's what the the birds do, and here's what the hawks do, and they, they kind of shuffle themselves into groups. So. so how does, just thinking back, distilling it back down to some of the principles and what we do with animals, and some of the honest qualities of that, Ty, how would you how do we help boys through some of those mediums here on the ranch establish more of an identity? Give, well, yeah, yeah. This is why we brought you in to answer right. this, this well, most difficult of all questions. So go. So here it is. <laughs> I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. That's a theme. <laughs> but, but, uh, I don't have a thing, or I don't have a, the answer, but I do have some thoughts on it. And yeah. uh, we all have, and we're all individuals, but we all need a group of people around us. We all need uh, to feel belong, a belonging to. It's no different than a herd of cattle, a flock of sheep. Uh, they. They're all individual. They all one one cow may like this type of grass versus that type of grass. Or you got the one cantankerous cow out there. Or you got the one that is the leader. But alone, they're they're dead, and they need to be. Uh, they they got to fit in. And I I I don't see much different with our boys. Um, they, they all are individuals and they're trying in a world, in a society and a culture that drives individuality so much I mean 
there's like five different types of cowboys in school now. Like you got the cow punchers, you got the the rodeo, uh, the belt buckle wearers, you got the cow, uh, the 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 cow uh, cowboy tr- or truck cowboys that just drive around in big. Like you have ten different times. Like it, you, someone's gonna find their way in their niche of. I fit in with this group, um, but but in all of reality, they just they got to find it how to fit in, and and that is tricky at the ranch at times because um, you have a bunch of people that are trying to figure out in in a world of uh, driving individuality, yeah, and uh, and I think that that's what that's where I just talk about. Hey, let's observe cows. What do you guys see out here? One cow goes that way, and they all go to the water with that one cow. Why is that? Well, it's for safety. That they just do that, mm-hmm. and so um, that those are how what to take out of that. I kind of leave that up to God and the boys. Yeah, and and that's not it's not that's what helps them. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this. This verse, and I think what stuck out to me about it as I was preparing to talk this afternoon was the word hidden, right? Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So I think that gets at some of what we're talking here is there's a mystery to that identity in Christ. There's a mystery to Christ in the church. There's a mystery to our personal relationship with God that we have to be comfortable with, or we're going to try to reduce things into black and white dichotomies and groups, and you're in this group and I'm in that group. Listen, the Bible says our identity, our life is hidden with Christ and God. And that's a difficult thing to explain to a 12-year-old. <laughs> Very. So <laughs> It's a difficult ex- thing to, to wrap my mind around. Yeah, like, yeah. Because we're all individuals, but we all need right. each other, and we, and we need... Christ. And we have a society that labels everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about, especially during elections, you hear about, oh, they talk about the Hispanic vote or the white vote or the black vote or the whatever, the Latino vote. It's just instead of like the American vote or, you know, that's just one example mm-hmm. of many of the ways that Call it we are identity di- politics. Just, yeah, Speaking just divided. Mm-hmm. But one thing I, I feel like we do well here at the ranch with specifically with the boys and identity and you think about why kind of the core of struggling with your identity is that you don't really have very much self-esteem you don't know what you believe and you don't feel like you're worthy of much and so that kind of all is a depressive state but I think as what we do as a whole as a team here at Whetstone that speaks specifically to this identity crisis that most of our boys have when they step foot on campus is that we just we show them dignity we show them respect and we do that through our ag program we do that through our adventure program and our therapeutic program every boy is different and it's a challenge to be able to meet them and motivate them in their different ways but they're safe they know they're safe we're on and we show them respect and our ratios are what they are our three to one staff to boy ratios are intentional in order to develop relationships with those boys 
all boiling down to helping them understand who they are and who we believe God intended them to be as a godly man and we try to model that as best as we can. We appreciate you listening. Um, again, I'm Axel Limita and this is Brandon Maxwell. Uh, it's a pleasure to have Ty with us this morning. Ty Lewis, he'll be with us frequently, I'm sure, to speak about the agricultural program and about other experiences he's had with boys as a house parent and growing grass and there's growing grass and all that stuff. So um, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Whetstone Boys Ranch is a therapeutic boarding school located in the scenic Ozarks of Southern Missouri. It was founded in 2011 to serve families from around the country who are struggling with challenging behaviors from their 12 to 16 year old sons. Our mission is to sharpen the character of young men, allowing God to work through us as iron sharpens iron. Please contact us at whetstoneboysranch.com if you or anyone you know has run out of options for their son. Thanks for listening to A Time to Sharpen, and we'll see you next time.